0: Hi, I'm Annie Filipova, the creator and host of the Change is Possible podcast. With the help of our guests, we'll uncover practical advice, actionable tips, and inspirational stories that can help you make your career change possible. Let's tune in. Hi, everyone. This is episode 21 of the Change is Possible podcast. Let me introduce you to my guest today. Stella Kastigli. She is the former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine in Greece. And following over 10 years working there, Stella realized she needed to make a career change. During this time, she co-founded Women on Top as a side hustle. Today, it is a non-profit organization for the professional development of women and gender equality in the public sphere. Stella is an author of eight books has translated more than 30 books and has won multiple awards. Among them is the National Book Award of Young Adult Nonfiction. Stella has experienced some interesting career changes, which I am excited to delve into and learn from today. Hi, Stella. Great to see you and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Annie. Great to see you too. We had an interesting chat as a preparation to the podcast and. Uh, And you told me that you studied uh, French literature. And that sounded very strange to me because I can't imagine. I mean, what were you planning with French literature? What kind of job you were thinking you're going to have? I'm just curious. That's a great question. Well,
1: I had no plan whatsoever. Uh, (laughs) To give you some background, this was part of my adolescent, I don't know what I want to do with my life phase my initial decision was that i would like to study to become a, tra- a translator and an interpreter i did finally become a translator but my goal then was to be an interpreter and you know travel the world and work with, for the european commission and for international organizations and get to know so many things so then uh the school the translation school in greece was outside of the normal examinations that kids uh, had to pass after they finished school. So I had to wait until September uh, to pass my exams. But my parents were not very comfortable with that. So they wanted me to pass the general exams just in case. And I I hadn't studied at all. I, I had terrible marks. I got terrible marks in my general exams. But French literature... Had very low entry um, uh, scores points. I don't know how it's called in English. You know, the passing level was so low that because I knew so um, well French, I don't uh, anymore because I haven't spoken French for for a while now. But I used to know very well French then. So although I messed up history and Latin and you know everything else uh, basically. Um, because I, I got a great mark in French, I passed. And then what happened was September came, I passed my translation exams with flying colors and I had to move to Corfu, which is a Greek island for those of you who don't know Greece very well. So the school is in Corfu, the university is in Corfu and I had to move there. But when I visited Corfu, I realized that it's such a rainy island with uh, such a you know special character and very moody and um, somewhat dark during the week the the winter, and I was a depressed teenager at that time, so I really didn't want to spend uh, four years in a gloomy island. Although I love Corfu now, I wasn't ready to 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 live there at that point. So because I had passed uh, in the French literature school. I said, well, so did, I will study French literature and I will become a translator after that. And that was the story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I've done uh, 20 episodes, this is the 21, and, and in almost every episode, everybody said the same thing. They didn't know what they, were, what they wanted to do, everybody, everybody without exception. Uh, it's funny so and then you finish school and how did you decide about your first job what what do you wanted to do
1: after that so i still wanted to be a translator and uh, i had uh, started working as one uh, during my first year in university so the first books i translated were how do you call those in english you know these uh, cheap ones you sell at um, uh, newsstands. The, the the romantic ones romantic yeah. stories yeah that one uh, so <laughs> i have translated <laughs> about 20 of those it was my oh wow ago, yeah <laughs> uh, so at some point i got bored and i thought what do i want to do and i really loved magazines at that time and uh just a, uh, a few months before i started university we had a new uh, publisher for Cosmopolitan magazine in Greece, so you know a new season for the magazine in Greece, and I was really excited to be uh, reading the articles, which was, which were a bit, you know, a bit uh, lifestyle feministy. Uh, so I was very excited about that, and I thought, well, maybe they do have some translation work for me. So I called, called them, and I said, do you need translators? So I started working as one. And then I started writing for them and then I became an assistant editor and then I left for London to do my masters, but then I came back as an editor-in-chief in in Cosmopolitan. So long story short, I stayed there for about 13 years in total.
0: 13 years, yeah. And again, when we spoke earlier, you told me about all the ups and downs of uh, your Cosmopolitan years. Can you walk us through these and lessons learned, experiences? Can you share everything that that you shared with me uh, before?
1: Sure. Uh, Now that I'm counting again, it was actually 11 years in total. Quite a long period of time. It was a long period. Um, So the first thing I learned was that I was really good at calling people. So it was a very useful lesson for me that when I want something and I know that I have the skills to do it well, I actually can ask for it. And even though I didn't know anyone, I could start forming relationships with people I didn't know. And and this was a huge learning for me even before I passed the door. And then when I started working there, Apart from the work ethic that writing and journalism requires, which is something that I learned during my years in the magazine, uh, how to be you know, on time and how to stick to deadlines and how to be a team player. These are all things I learned while I worked here. But the other thing I learned, which I think may, may be even more useful long term, was that it was really, really important for me to work in a job that had a purpose, that had a purpose that aligned with my values. And I know that this is something we we talk a lot now, Uh, you know, after, after I would say 2010, uh, it has become like mainstream conversation, but it wasn't really at that time. And... Sometimes we talk about values and, and, and you know, purpose uh, at work, but we don't really know what we mean. For me, it was crucial to know that I was working in an environment that tried sometimes more successfully, sometimes less, less successfully to empower young women. So it might have been a magazine that, you know, focused on on sex and relationships. But at the same time, uh, we had lots of advice about being uh, financially independent and how to go about your dreams and how not to feel trapped by societal stereotypes about your gender. And at the same time, we got letters from girls from all over Greece who had so many questions about how it is to be a woman and how it is to be a a, a young woman in Greece. So this was very important for me. And I realized that it would be very, very hard to work in an environment which didn't align with my values. And the last thing I learned, which was the sad thing, I suppose, was that when I don't feel aligned with the work I do, I am not really good at it. And it's important for me to be good at what I do, so it was a hard lesson for me to learn that when you know this cycle came to a close came to an end, it was really time for me to go, otherwise
0: I wouldn't be good at what I did. I see so you learned this quite early in your career, which was which was very helpful. People battle with this all their lives and then they're sorry about things they haven't done. Tell me about a bit more about the decision to leave. How all this developed? And this is also the other factor is that you were a single parent at that time. And, um, and that, I guess, was even doubly more difficult to, to take such a decision. But, but you did it. So it, it's really great to share your experience and some tips to other women who might listen to this and um, relate with exactly your experience. So the decision,
1: I mean, the realization that I wanted to leave came slowly, gradually in, I would say, three levels. One was the natural uh, cycle of things, life cycle of things, I think it's not possible at this age and time to be uh, in a job forever and still feel fulfilled, especially in in a job that's creative like writing and you know, editing a magazine that is quite age specific. I would say that I had grown out of it. So one part was that, and another part, uh, at, under the same umbrella of the life cycle of things, was that. I was I am a person who loves continuity and that was a time when internet became a big thing in Greek media. So I couldn't really wrap my head around the fact that we now had to write 10 or 11 articles each day and upload them in a website. And the next day we had to do the same thing all over again. I mean, the pace was too fast for me. Not in terms of work, because uh, I'm a workaholic, I think. So work never frightened me. But the sheer pace of it all was very exhausting for me. The fact that I made something that disappeared after two hours. Uh, I didn't like that. Uh, The second thing was financial, because uh, we were, we had just, I would say, no, we were still in a financial crisis and I I couldn't see this job sustaining me for for a long time after I left. So, uh, this was uh, a big factor for me and I felt I could do better. And then, you know, there is some point where relationships which which is a very important thing for me at work. I need good working relationships. Sometimes they reach a point where they are not uh, functionable anymore. So I think these were the three main factors uh, that helped me make that decision. It wasn't an easy one, first of all, because I loved the place um, and I had formed relationships with people, as I said. Uh, second thing was, as you said, I was a single mother, so I had a huge responsibility, financial one, to be independent and to be able to provide for my family. and this was not a great time to you know stay unemployed and i didn't really have a plan i mean i i knew i could write i knew i could still uh, be a translator and work as a translator but i didn't have a big career plan like i'll do that and then i'll do that and then i'll be great uh but yeah i i had first of all i had to be true to myself because as i said i i felt that i was not good uh, at my work anymore and the second thing was that I had to be true to my daughter. She, she um, might have been like three years old at the time, but I, I still knew that I, I wanted to teach her what I you know preached. I, yeah. I, mean, I had to be uh, consistent in what I said to her and what I really did.
0: Great. So when you were leaving, did, you, did people understand you? And I know that generally most of people kind of think it's a crazy decision. So how did you overcome this? Because left, right and center, everybody is telling you, no, this is not right. How did you go through this? Yeah, it's true. I, I don't think
1: I found like three people who said this is a great idea. <laughs> I found 500 <laughs> people who said this is a terrible idea, but I didn't find three who would support me, you know, in, in essence. But for me, it was clear, you know, you, you reach a point where there is no decision to be made anymore. The decision has been made. You know that you need to leave. Otherwise, you will be depressed or you will be bad at your job or you would be financially um, not viable. So when I, maybe it's my, my personality that is like that. But when I reach that point, there is no going back for me. And it doesn't matter how many people tell me otherwise. So I I suppose I close my ears, which is not a hugely, you know, this is not a great advice at, at many situations. And it's, it's not maybe the most responsible thing to do when you are a, a parent and you need to listen to other people. But for me,
0: it was the best thing that I did at that point. I see. So you hear them but you don't listen to them because you hear what they say and you're trying to find, okay, what is the good thing they're saying? Can, is, is there something that can help me? And you can't find anything and you don't listen to them. I guess that that's how, how it develops. Yeah, I suppose that, you know, during the first months, I
1: would run the advice in my head and look for answers. If mm-hmm. I found the answers, the next time that I got the same advice, I knew that I already had the answer, so I didn't have to go through the same process again because the advice was not so different every time. I mean, it was like, you have a stable job. Well, this job is not stable anymore. I knew that. But you were happy at your job. Well, I'm not happy anymore. But you have a kid. Well, I want to be consistent with my kid and, you know, uh, do what I preach. So I, Mm -hmm. I had looked for the answers and i knew they were there so i didn't i didn't i didn't
0: have to doubt myself every time oh i see that that's actually quite good what you said because you found the answer you had thought about it you found the answer you were happy with the answer you were happy with the consequences and you moved great so tell me how did you do financially to to support yourself leaving a job i think the most conventional thing that I do,
1: I did, and and the most responsible at that time was that m- my only red line was that I wouldn't live without uh, a severance package. I wouldn't live without, you know, any money in the bank. Mm. And because I yeah. had been there for quite a, a while, uh, I, mm. the, my severance package was uh, such that I could support myself and my kid for, say, one year, one year and a half, so if, if I was careful. So that was my only red line, that I would only leave that place with some money in the back. And then I knew that I have the translation job going on, so I tried to be as proactive with that as I could uh, Mm -hmm. because I knew I would be a freelancer from from now on. So I had to build my network to do business development. To, yeah. <laughs> you know, to be to get out there and meet people and get people know that this would be my job uh in the future so I did all that I was very careful with my finances I asked for help when I didn't needed it and I think that these three things got us through and there were months that I felt that this is very risky but it was a level of risk that I was comfortable, you know, taking and sleeping with.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, so um, tell me about the book writing. You said that you wrote several books. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the inspiration came about and when did you write them? Was it before or after you left? You know, I, I think lots of
1: Women who are ambitious, professionally ambitious, fear at some level that uh, if and when they have kids, uh, their career will stall or that they will fall behind in their careers. And this was a fear of, of, of mine as well. But the reality was that my kids were such an inspiration and a force for 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 me, not only personally but also professionally, that. I think I wouldn't be who I am today, personally, both personally and professionally, without my kids. And I don't mean I would be better professionally in, in no way. I would be much, much worse. So I wrote, I started writing my first book when, when I was pregnant with my first daughter back in 2010. And it was uh, a blog about my pregnancy and first-time motherhood. I wanted to talk about how it's not all rosy and, you know, uh, happy and, um, you know. Easy
0: and, you know, and heavenly. Easy.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the real feelings, which sometimes were hard for me. Um, and writing was the best way I knew to talk about these feelings. So I started a blog and at the beginning I thought that only me and my husband and, you know, some friends would read it. but Gradually, it gained um, a huge readership, and after my daughter was born, I decided to submit it uh, as a book to four or five publishing houses. Most of them said no, we don't publish blogs, but one said yes. So uh, my first book uh, came out when my daughter was about one year old, and it was uh, published by Patakis Editions, and it did well but i think the best thing it did for me was that when i i took it in my hands i realized that i could maybe write a second book um (laughs) you know on purpose that this time
0: yeah and one step leading to another step to a third step yes
1: exactly you build your confidence as you go and because i'm an anorexia survivor i knew that my second book would have to do with that so I wrote a young adult book about about anorexia nervosa, bullying, and, you know, teen relationships, etc. And this became a big success in Greece. I still go to schools and talk about that. It was uh, shortlisted for the National Book Award for Young Adult Literature, so it, w- it went great. When I fell pregnant with my second daughter, uh, I decided to write a book series for, for younger children, which is, is called Princess Athena. And is about an unconventional princess that does things her way. And then my my latest book was Thirty Women Who Changed the World and how you can change it too. And uh, this was the hardest book I have ever written, but it uh, it won the, the National Book Award for uh, uh, young adult nonfiction. And yeah, hopefully it will not be my last. But
0: yeah. That was actually my next question. Do you think you write more? I'm sure you will. I will. Yes, I think I will. Uh, just the
1: pandemic was took it all uh, to my writing, but yes,
0: I will write more. Great. Let's talk about um, women on top. How the idea for the organization come? How did you found it, and how did it develop? Sure. When I was pregnant with my
1: first daughter, I started wondering about my professional future and uh, how I wanted to be and where I'm, I, I'll go from there. So I started thinking that I would like to have a mentor, a woman who has worked in the same field that I have and has, you know, uh, has had the same uh, questions and uh, concerns about her career. So I thought that there should be a place like a network or a community where any woman could find a mentor irrespective of her professional field. I mean, either she was an entrepreneur or um, an elementary teacher or a sales uh, person or anything really, uh, that she could find someone who would help her move forward in her career and answer her questions. So in 2012, uh, together with my first co-founder, Galen Leopoulou, uh we created a Facebook group, and we said, that's what we want to do. Just send us your CVs, if you have more than two years of professional experience, and send us your questions, your concerns about your career, um, if you have one. And we will try to match those two. So we matched uh, mentors with mentees, And it kind of grew out of that. At first, it was just a mentoring network. Today is a nonprofit organization that uh, works in many different fields, the individual empowerment of women um, around professional and economic development. We work with uh, companies and organizations on their diversity and inclusion efforts. And then we do research and advocacy campaigns um, to advance women's equality in the public sphere.
0: Great. And what do you think were the, the key factors for success? So if somebody wants to establish organization just like this, what do they have to think about or do they have to plan? What are the obstacles?
1: I think there is not one way to do this. Um, if someone wants to do it our way, they need to have a lot of patience because it's not something, what we did was not something that scaled fast. Uh, it was something that was built painstakingly with uh, you know great effort uh no money uh i mean we we got no investment and no funding for like 6 or 7 years and we got no salary either uh but we uh we were able to bootstrap and and build it from the ground up and you know feel that it was born out of our work and this was a huge plus for us Uh, We also built our community that way. We built our community one person, one woman at a time, one organization at a time. So you need to have great partners. You need to have patience. You need to have a vision and to know your why, why you do that. You need to, to be able to do many different things at once. And you need to be
0: open to learning every day. I see. So you started uh, building um, uh, Women on Top when you were still working, right? It was a side interest, so to say. And it continued to be a side interest for for quite some time, right? You know, I had no idea that it would become my main job
1: uh, because when it started, mentoring and women's empowerment was very, very new in Greece. Uh, I mean, in that wave, at least. Uh, but then Me Too happened. And the discussion started, you know, gaining momentum and our work started gaining momentum and one worked along with the other. So at some point I realized that we had a great community and a great opportunity and I that this was a, maybe a professional future for me. So I started devoting more time to it and then it gave me back more to
0: keep up giving. Yeah. Great. Uh, very well said. So. What were, the, what were the things that you were not prepared for when you start working for yourself? Oh, that's a great question.
1: You will laugh with the answer. No, 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 I will not. <laughs> oh, you will. The thing that was hardest for me, because I worked in a publishing environment, as I mentioned, I worked in magazines. So the thing that was hardest for me was the fact that I didn't have A designers team to give a visual identity to all the things they had in my mind because when i worked in publishing when i worked in in cosmopolitan i knew that when we wrote an article or when we wanted to visualize something we could go to the graphic designers and ask for what we wanted but when i became a freelancer and i had to bootstrap so i didn't have real money to pay for a graphic designer I had to find a way to give an image to my ideas, and I think this was the hardest thing for me. I can imagine. And how how did you solve this? Very interesting. You know, I think that for, for a few years, when I didn't have the resources to invest something like that, I kind of dismissed it. So I tried to persuade myself that it was not that important. And that helped me not feel, uh, you know, as a, as an impostor. That helped me uh, go forward without feeling that I was less than. And then when what we did uh, started becoming successful, it was that at that time that I realized that this is an investment. Imagine is an investment, and we really need to to build that. And it was a huge game changer for me and for the organizations, for our organization, when we started investing in design again.
0: We're towards the end of the podcast. What I loved about everything you shared, Stella, is the unconventional way to approach things, right? Because you surprised me on uh, almost all the questions. Because when I asked you about the visual designer and I thought you'll say, oh, I use Canva. Oh, yes, yeah, this or that. And I said, no, I just ignored it. <laughs> I've never heard such an answer, honestly. Uh, but but it worked. It worked for you. And it also proves your point that everyone will do it their own way. And there is no one way which is the truth. And then every every other way doesn't work, right? Amazing. So So give me... So I'm now very interested what you're going to say. What are these... <laughs> Three, three key takeaways for people who want to make, want to make a change in their career in, and with that change their life. Well, what they, do they have to do? I think that the, the number one thing that
1: I started doing early in life, but I know this is not the norm, is to self-reflect and i mean both self reflect before you do something and know why you are doing something why you're choosing one thing or the other and but then also self reflect after you've done something and think about what went well why it went well what didn't go well and what you want to change next time i think that this is really important in any decision you you make but especially in these big decisions that carry many risks and many rewards at the same time. The second thing I would say is don't ever change your career path or your job or your anything in order to prove something to someone, but do it only if you want to learn something new. There is no point in, in doing that, in taking all that risk and investing so much time and energy in something new just in order to prove something. Because then it means that you believe that you know everything or you know most of it and in reality, you know almost nothing. And you will, in order to be successful, you need to keep learning. So if you are not open to learning and, and learning goes hand in hand with failing, it's, it's not going to work uh, in the long term, at least. And then the third thing that I believe many women uh, get, and men, get too long to understand it, is that you can't build a network. You can't build a community based on your needs. Your need is to build, a, to build an authentic community. And this needs to come before you need something. So you've, you, you first need to invest your time and your energy in building real connections. And in order to build real connections, you, you have to be interested in other people. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So you need to build an authentic network. And then when you need something, your network will be there for, for you and your community will be there for you. But you can't really build a community based on your needs.
0: Great. That was a great ending to the podcast. I was really delighted to speak to you. Thank you so much, Stella. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Annie. I
0: love your podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please remember to review, rate and subscribe when you have a chance. You can do that on your favorite podcast platform, Or go to our site, changeispossible.site. Thank you once again and have a great day.